Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now here's today's message with Pastor Michael. Acts chapter 20, and from Miletus 17, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. Now, I didn't put a map up here for you, but you can see all these things. If you have some Bible tools or in your Bible, you can follow the map, and all these places are on the map, moving from the Aegean Sea down the coast to the Mediterranean Sea. What's amazing about Luke is he is a meticulous historian. As a matter of fact, some of you have heard the name Sir William Ramsey. Sir William Ramsey was a non-Christian who went to these lands to try to disprove Christianity, spent 15 years of his life trying to disprove it, and after doing that, he became a Christian. And many of you have heard that name, famous for archaeological finds, and this is what's happened with a lot of people. They go to disprove the Bible, whether from a manuscript standpoint or archaeologically speaking, and they find that every archaeological discovery tends to buttress or does buttress the biblical account. Uh, uh, There's one uh, archaeologist whose last name is Gleck, and he was a Jewish archaeologist, same thing. He said there's no discovery that has ever controverted a single fact in the Bible. Every time we turn the shovel over and find something else, it affirms the biblical account. And as I've said before, archaeology is just catching up to the Bible. And so from Miletus, Paul passed Ephesus, about 30 miles past Ephesus now, but he sent, he's going to take advantage, full advantage of the layover of the ship, and he called to him the elders of the church. I want you to note this word for elder, it's presbyteros in Greek. It means, it's a term borrowed from the synagogue and even ancient Jewish life, and it means an elder in that literal sense, somebody who is older but it also can mean somebody who's mature or respected. And so an elder in a church in this office is supposed to be someone who's mature in their faith and respected and maybe even older chronologically because you know there's no substitute for experience. Now I will tell you this, in my own personal Christian journey, I became a Christian at about 20 and they made me an elder at 26. I have no idea what they were thinking. Because even though I had a lot of zeal, I wasn't really prepared for that office, but they saw the zeal and and the passion in me, and I kind of had to learn things as I went. But the elders are called for, and I want you to notice it's plural. There's more than one elders. Elders were appointed in every church. You can look at Titus 1.5. We saw this earlier in the book of Acts. And Paul has called for these men, and he's called them to himself for a very special speech. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, that's Asia Minor or modern day Turkey, how I was with you the whole time. If you have an NIV, it says, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. One of the great things that a person could do who wants to be a leader of others is needs, you need to realize that your greatest sermons are not preached from a pulpit or even in a Bible study. Your greatest sermons are preached by your life, by how you live, by whether or not you have a heart for God's people and a heart for the kingdom. And I can't give you a shepherd's heart. God has to give that to you. 
And because the Bible teaches that we're being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, one of the things that you're going to notice as you go along in your journey is that God's going to teach you to love people that maybe before you didn't even click with or didn't even want to talk to. But he's going to give you a heart like his. And Paul says, you know how I lived. You know the way that I conducted my life. Hebrews 13, 7 says, remember those who led you who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, show yourself an example of those who believe. Philippians 3.17 says, brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. And 1 Corinthians 11.1 says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. There is a place for a human example in the church. God has given shepherds to the church to model the faith, to teach the word of God, but also to show by their lifestyle that there are legitimate Christians out there who are examples to the flock. That's what we want to be. And we don't want to be an example just because we're trying to be an example. We want to be an example because it's just a natural overflow of my life. I'm so in love with Jesus and so concerned about his kingdom that it can't help but come out. I can't help who I am. I'm not talking about a forced, wooden, phony example. I'm talking about you being so close to that shepherd that inevitably when you talk to somebody, they're going to see Jesus in you. Have you ever noticed that you can just tell when someone's a Christian? You meet somebody maybe at work or school or whatever in the neighborhood, and you can just tell. Now Paul says, not only was I trying to be this example to you, but I was serving the Lord with all humility. Now this sounds maybe a little bit self-serving, but some commentators say that Paul's talking about his humiliation. The rest of the verse says, and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. It sounds to me like Paul did a lot of crying during his life. Some people think, well, it's not very manly to cry. I would submit to you that here's a a man's man if there ever was one. Here's one of the toughest cookies that ever walked the planet. And apparently he spent a lot of time crying. The question is, what did he cry about? I think he cried over the loss, Romans 9. He even said, I wish that I could even give up my own salvation or be a curse from Christ that my brethren, according to the flesh, would be saved. I think he cried over enemies of the cross from his own kinsmen. And I think sometimes he cried over his own trials. I mean, lots of times he had people plotting to kill him while he was trying to preach. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being at a podium or a platform or getting on board a ship and finding out these people have agreed, a group of them, that they're not going to eat until you're dead? Would you turn tail and leave? Paul says, look, I tried to keep going in humility, serving the Lord And as we serve the Lord, inevitably we're going to serve people. Jesus says, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Many times the apostles were arguing, who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to do this? And Jesus said, look, that's what the people of the world do. That's what government leaders do, but not so among you. He who would be greatest among you shall be what? Servant of all. And so leadership in the church, just like in a marriage when a husband is supposed to love his wife as Christ loved the church, leadership in a church is a position of authority, but it is ultimately servant leadership. 
just like we do in our marriages, guys. We are told in Ephesians 5.25 to love our wives just as Christ loved the church. How in the world could a man do that unless the shepherd is living through him? And Jesus says, you take care of my flock until I come. You think that's a pretty serious charge? Jesus says, look, I died for these people and I'm back in heaven and I'm giving now you shepherds charge of my people that I love. Take care of them. We've all seen the touching scene of a movie when someone's dying and a comrade comes up to them and and they realize they're going to die and they look up and they say to their comrade, take care of my family for me or take care of her for me. That's what Jesus says to us shepherds. Take care of her. I love her. She's important to me, so you guide her, you protect her, you teach her the right way. We can all feel that, and that's what Paul is saying. He says, look, I did not shrink, verse 20, from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Now this word shrink in Greek is hupostello. It means to cower, to shrink, to be timid, or to withhold or conceal. And this is a word that really should speak to those of us who have platforms never to shirk our responsibility to preach the full gospel. If you look at Acts 20, 27, to peek ahead for a moment, it says these words, for I did not shrink, same word, from declaring to you the whole what? Purpose or counsel of God. It is incumbent upon a man of God who has a pulpit to never withhold that which could benefit the hearers. And we've watched preachers in our modern age, for the sake of political correctness, they're asked about the gospel, they're asked about Jesus being the only way, and they do a dance like they're Fred Astaire. Instead of saying, look, you know what, this is what the Bible teaches, this is what Jesus said. So your argument, sir or ma'am, is not with me, it's with Jesus. If the manuscript evidences are true, and they are, then Jesus made this statement. Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sin. I didn't say that. Jesus did. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. And Paul says in verse 20, I did not cower to give you anything that was profitable. Just a side note. This is probably the only recorded speech we have in the book of Acts that is recorded that is to the church and not an evangelistic sermon or a legal defense as we will see later in the book of Acts of Paul. This is the one rare address recorded for us. There are other addresses, but we don't have the data or what was said there that we can get an insight. We have a seat, so we should pay close attention. And Paul says, look, I was declaring to you anything, NIV, that would be helpful. Uh, I taught you publicly and from house to house. I taught you in the school of Tyrannus. We saw that in Acts 19, that rented philosophy building, and I taught you from house to house. Anywhere I could give more stuff away, I gave anything that was profitable. You'll know one thing. If a person really cares about you, They will give you everything they've got. You know how athletes sometimes say, I left everything on the field. I didn't hold anything back. That's what Paul's saying here. I gave you everything I had. And when you give somebody everything you have, all your life experiences, knowledge that you can give them, then it's because you love them and you want the best for them. If you hold stuff back from people, 
for whatever reason you do it, it's because you care more about yourself than you do about them. Maybe it's your own skin. Maybe it's your alleged reputation or whatever. If you hold back from the people of God and you don't give them the full counsel of God, then you've held back that which is profitable for them. Why? To fill seats in churches? To make a name for yourself? To not be uh, marginalized by, uh, you know, as another one of those Bible-believing Christians on the right end of the spectrum? Look, this is the word of God, and that's what Paul says. He says, look, I taught it to you. In Galatians 4.16, he even said to the Galatian church, have I become your enemy because I told you the truth? Dr. Martin was sometimes one time sharing with a group, and there were some Mormons in the audience, and he shared the truth about the history of the Mormon church. And one young man, very angry, stood up and confronted Dr. Martin. Dr. Martin, in only of his style, he said, what's the matter did I take away your security blanket, Linus? And people thought, oh, that's a, that's a really, that's not a loving, well, you know what? Dr. Martin was there because he loved those people. There weren't people beating down the doors to address Mormons on the own, their own history of their faith, but Dr. Martin did. And he said, I gave my life for these people that they might understand that the doctrine that they've held to is false. And if you have a family member that gets caught up in a cult, you praise God for teachers like that who've written books on these subjects and spent their life to try to keep people on track with the true Christ. Paul says, I was solemnly testifying 21 to both Jews and Gentiles or Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God, toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, everywhere he went, repentance and faith, repentance and faith. If you want to know the biblical model for evangelism, here's what it is. You tell people you need to repent of your sin, which means you're going this way away from God, you got to do a 180 and come back, change your mind and your direction, and come to God through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the biblical model, and that's how we get saved. We repent of our sin, and we trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, now... Behold, bound in, bound in spirit, lowercase in the NAS, uh, capitalized in, in the NIV and others, compelled by the Spirit. This would be the Holy Spirit. You can go both ways, but I think it was within Paul, and I think the Holy Spirit was also compelling him. He said, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies, 23, to me in every city, over and over again is the implication saying that bonds or chains and afflictions or tribulations await me. Lord, I need a word from you. What's ahead for me? Bonds and afflictions. What's ahead for me, Lord? Give me a word. I need a word. Bonds and afflictions await you. But he says, but none of these things, New King James, move me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, in order that I may finish my course or my race with joy in New King James and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And I asked a few weeks ago, what is it going to take to move you? If you have a race to run and God has marked out that path for you, what's it going to take? And Paul said, look, even if my life is on the line, this is not going to move me off the path. I've decided that I'm going to finish my race. 
And I pray that we will finish ours strong as well. And now behold, I know that all of you, among whom I went about preaching the kingdom, will see my face no more. Can you imagine? I, I think you could have heard a pin drop. I think people were going, what? You're not going to see my face again. This, this same commitment was beautifully evident in the life of James Calvert, a young pioneer and missionary to the cannibals of the Fiji Islands. If you heard cannibal in your prayers, go preach to the cannibals. Wouldn't you look for multiple confirmation? Lord, is that really the who? The cannibals? In route, the ship captain, a humane man, tried to dissuade Calvert. Finally, the captain cried in desperation, you will lose your life and the lives of those with you if you go down to those savages. And Calvert calmly replied, we died before we ever got here. And I'll tell you what, that is humbling. To hear a man say, look, I've died to myself. If I, if I lose my life here, I will gain it back. Surely in the end, Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And so, you know what? Living our lives on the path that God has called us to is the most important thing. Verse 26 says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of how many? Of all men. I don't know if I could say that. Now Paul is using watchmen on the wall imagery back in Ezekiel 33. You can write down verses 1 through 9. You can see the image there. A watchman's job was he had a, a trumpet or a horn and when an invading army was going to threaten the city for which he was a watchman on the, the, the walls to guard the city, his job was to blow a warning blast. And if he blew the warning when the invading army was coming, if the people of the city didn't heed the warning, their blood was on their own hands or on their own heads. But if he saw the invading army come and he dropped his horn and packed it up and exited stage left, God says their blood, the people of that city, is on your head. And in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul takes the watchman on the wall imagery and says, I'm like a watchman, and guess what, Ephesian elders? So are you. I'm innocent of the blood of all men, but now I'm telling you, I'm leaving, the ball is yours. The baton is yours. Now you run. But I'll tell you what I can say. I'm innocent of the blood of all men. Now, if we lived our lives in that light, that whenever we had a platform, and I'm not saying to be obnoxious, I'm not saying to overwhelm people, to pound them over the head with your biggest family Bible you could imagine that you have, but I am saying that when God opens a door, we need to preach. I was in a situation a couple years back, I shared it with some of you, where one of our racquetball buddies died. He was 50 years old, great shape, great competitor, and he was playing uh, paintball on his front yard and dropped, had a massive heart attack. There was even a, an emergency room doctor right there, one of his friends or family members, and couldn't revive him. And he was gone. 
And I, and I started thinking back to, of all the times I played racquetball with this guy, did I ever share the gospel with him? And I did. And this gentleman was a kind of a, he had a gruff exterior, but he was a really good guy. He reminded me of like an old Roman soldier, that kind of tough guy. One day I sat him down and I shared the gospel with him. And he never talked like this, but he said, Michael, that's beautiful, after I finished. I don't know what he did with the gospel, but I shared it with him. So all of a sudden, I was the preacher in the racquetball group, so they said, oh, let's get the preacher to help with the memorial service. And I was more than willing. But then I heard through the family members that certain family members, prominent ones, did not want the gospel to be preached at his memorial service. And I was devastated. I was like, what? What, what else would I say to these people if our friend has just died? If I can't give them the hope of heaven and the hope of the gospel, what am I going to do? Uh, hi, uh, we played racquetball together and we're sure going to miss him. And What would I say? I said, I can't do that. I can't do anything but share. So I told the family that I shared with him one day and one of the family members said, you know what? No matter what's going on, we want you to be there. We want you to speak. So they held this memorial service in a backyard. It was overseen by the attorney, one, uh, an attorney in the family. And he was calling people up and everybody sharing. And it was obvious that there was talk about this conflict and whether the gospel should be preached and the preacher. And so I finally walked up. They had this kind of on an elevated thing above the pool. And I whispered in the attorney's ear, I'm the preacher. And he went... <laughs> Oh, so he looked at the family members and the family members nodded like, it's okay, he can speak. And so I got some counsel from a pastor friend of mine who said, look, you've got to preach, so just tell them the story of what, well, how you shared with him and how he responded. And while you're telling the story, then tell them what you told him. So I said, well, one day after racquetball, I, want, I played racquetball with this fellow, and, and I want to tell you that one day after the game, I, I, we sat down, and, and, I, and I shared the gospel with him. I told him that Jesus Christ, and I began to preach the gospel. And you can see the attorney, he got up a couple of times, and then it's like the Holy Spirit pulled him back down, because he got up, and I just kept preaching. And he got up again, and back down. I don't know if someone was pulling on his shirt, if the Spirit of God just kept him. Anyway, so I preached the gospel. And I had person after person coming up to me and saying, we heard about what was going on and, and we were praying for you. We're Christians and we live up in Big Bear and we heard and my husband and I were talking and I said to my husband, oh, he's got to preach the gospel. That's what pastors do. And my husband said, I don't know if you should preach the gospel because some of these family members are going to get really upset. He got to preach the gospel. He will preach the gospel. And this was the talk of the whole thing. And what I didn't realize was all these people knew what was going on. They were praying for me. And then one after the other, they started coming up to me and saying, thank you. Thank you. And when I was walking in there, I felt all alone. I felt like Daniel in the lion's den. Okay, here's the preacher. <laughs> Mary had a little lamb. <laughs> And sometimes, I, frankly, as a human being, I go, Lord, why did you pick me to do stuff like this? This is not what I imagined being a... I thought being a pastor, you just get to preach from a podium for 45 minutes. You play golf the rest of the week. What in the world have you called me to? But one day, I want to be innocent of the blood of all men. 
A group of servicemen asked their new chaplain if he believed in a real hell for lost sinners. He smiled and told them that he did not. Then you are wasting your time, the men replied. If there is no hell, we don't need you. And if there is a hell, you are leading us astray. Either way, we are better off without you. We don't need religious phonyism. You know, look, the bottom line is the one who gave us most of our doctrine about hell is Jesus. And Paul says, look, I'm innocent of these people's blood. If it didn't matter, if if people can just get to heaven any old way, then why is Paul using watchmen on the wall language? If you would like to listen to this message, or if you would like more information about the ministry of Living Truth, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. As Paul ends Acts chapter 20, he, he gives a bit of personal testimony just to reiterate that what he did, he did not do for personal gain. He did not do it to covet silver and gold or people's clothes. He says that he worked with his own hands. And he, he became a model. He became an example. Now, there's a time, I think, when a pastor may have to be bivocational and may have to earn a living apart from the ministry. And then there's a time when he may be able to go full time. Paul seems to be doing both at different times in his ministry based upon the circumstances and and maybe even some potential stumbling blocks for people. But Paul says, look, the bigger picture here is that he was an example to the flock. He wasn't afraid to work hard. And, you know, the love that the, the folks had for Paul is evident at the end of this account as they embrace each other and there's weeping. And many of them were weeping out loud and embracing Paul because they, they uh, were hurt that they would never see his face again. Uh, departures can be, can be hard, but Paul was such a faithful man. And so many people, think about the Apostle Paul's impact. So many people had come to Christ. Maybe they were the first converts in, in a region, the first converts in their family because Paul was willing to travel because he was found faithful. And I'm sure it had to be a tough thing to say goodbye. But Paul knew that he would see these folks again. If not on this planet, certainly in heaven, they would be his crown. And he wanted to make sure that no one stole that away, that no one stole away the simplicity and purity of the gospel that had been given to them. The gospel is so beautiful, and it, it needs to be guarded, and it needs to be treasured. And Paul did that very thing, and I pray that we'll do the same in our own lives. We'll realize the treasure that we have through Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to today's program. Our mission is to get the truth of God's Word out. This is our passion. We want to impact as many people as possible, and we have an opportunity to expand this radio program, and we need you, the listener, to partner with us in prayer and in giving. You can give to our ministry through our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. I want to invite you to visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org to get more familiar with our church fellowship. If you live in the Inland Empire and don't have a church home, come and worship with us. We have a wonderful church family that meets here in the city of Corona. Our service times are 9th and 11.15 a.m. You can get more information about that at the website. That's livingtruthcorona.org.
God bless you.